Well, good morning, everybody. What an exciting day. My son was dedicated today. It's, it's a strange phrase for me. My son was dedicated today. <clears throat> I remember that, too, holding the boys. They were heavy, and there was two of them. Um, I remember us looking at each other. I'm looking at you. I'm struggling. I'm dying up there just... Anyway, it was a lot of fun. Those good boys. Um, Turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. We're going to read here in verse 5, a very short passage of Scripture. And then we're going to get into some really long ones, so just be ready. Um, I have a favorite Scripture. I know many of you do. And it's hard to say, hey, what's your favorite scripture? Because it's like saying, you know, which one's your favorite child? I really don't have a favorite child. I mean, maybe. Um, I don't have a favorite child, but there is one that you tend to favor more because you either resonate with them a little bit better or you understand them or they're more like you or less like you, depending on how you are, um, and you favor that. And so this scripture is my favorite scripture. Because it's the one that resonates with me. It's the one that I lean on the most as I go through life. And there have been times in my struggles with life where I have leaned on this scripture and it has gotten me through. In fact, the other day I was dealing with something. And, you know, sometimes you look at the Lord and you ask, Lord, why are you doing this? What is going on? I I don't understand. I don't get it. Why Why am I having to go through all of this? here. And I was listening to the radio. And I never listen to the radio. Let me just tell you. Um, when I drive, I'm either listening to, to worship music or it's just silent in there and I'm there with my thoughts. But for some reason, I had the, uh, the AM radio on. And, and on 1080 AM, they have um, and the other side of the news, which I like to listen to sometimes. And then they have a prayerful thought pretty soon after that. And it's it's brought to you by some church. I don't know the church. I don't know what they believe. But they always just kind of give you a, a scripture, right? And this scripture to yesterday was Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It's the one I resonate with, right? So I'm going through all this, and that scripture comes up. And as I'm thinking, Lord, what's going on? Out of all the myriad scriptures that they could have chosen, they chose this one. And so it encouraged me, obviously, because it's, it's my favorite scripture, and, and I knew that the Lord was listening, and I knew that the Lord is there with me. And, and so today's sermon is all about that very thing. The Lord is with you, and the Lord is listening. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we're going to read it. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Very simple, very beautiful in my mind. He will direct your paths. Today, I want to talk about that exact thing. I play, um, many of you play this before in your life, the trust game. Anybody ever played that game? Where you stand in front of somebody and you cross your arms and you lean back a little bit and then you fall back and you trust that they catch you. They like to do that at corporate events, right? They play the trust game when they have everybody get with the partner. In fact, everybody get with a partner real quick. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. They get with the partner, they stand, you know, front to back, and they put their arms 
crosswise like this, and then they lean back and they fall. And I like to play that game. Megan likes to play that game with me, but she does not know how to trust. She's not there yet. And, and as big as I am, bigger than her, obviously, and, and as, as much as she knows that I love her, she will always, despite me telling her not to, put her foot back because she does not trust that I'm going to catch her. And so one day we were walking. We were on a walk. And she said, Daddy, let's play the trust game. I said, no, 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 we're not going to play the trust. She said, yes, let's play the trust game. So we said, all right, said, all right put your feet together, cross your arms, lean back a little bit, and I'm going to catch you. And I, and maybe this is why she doesn't trust me, I like to take a step back and make her feel like I'm really, really far away because I know that I need a little bit of leverage to catch her anyway. So I'm going to brace myself, and I'm going to catch her, but she sees me step back, and she thinks, this guy's not going to catch me. I'm going to fall. So she will lean back a little bit, and then as she goes just like this, her foot goes back. Every single time, without fail, her foot goes back because she doesn't trust me. And inevitably, we'll get to a place where finally, after like six or 7,000 tries, she'll let me catch her, and it'll be glorious, and that's it, we're done, because it's got boring, we walk away. She doesn't know how to trust. When I think about trust, I think about um, the conversations I used to have with my mother. She would always have a plan B whenever it came to trusting. And I told her, I've talked to her about that when it comes to spiritual matters. I said, Mom, you can't have a, a plan B. You can't say, I trust the Lord, but just in case it fails, I'm going to put my foot back, right? When I, uh, it's been almost a year, on July 21st, it will be a year where I was let go from my previous company. And at the time, um, my family was dealing with a lot of stuff. We uh, were dealing with COVID at the time. We were dealing with miscarriage at the time. There were so many things happening at the time that, that I really struggled, not with trust, but with understanding. Lord, where, where are we going? What are we doing? What's going on? And, and I've talked about that. I'm not going to do it again, but I've talked about this testimony before where I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm finally understanding. No, I can't say understanding. I'm finally relying on God to do what he says he's going to do or, or basically do what he wants to do in my life. And, it, and it's a struggle for me because like my mother, I like to have a plan B. I like to be prepared. I like to go into situations knowing what's going to happen and then preparing for the worst. Not hoping for it, obviously, but preparing for it and being ready mentally, physically, whatever you want to call it, uh, in understanding that, hey, if this does not work out, then I need to do this, 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 and this over here. And, and that is putting your foot back. It's saying, I trust you, but I'm going to be ready in case you don't catch me. And, and so this season for me has been one of, trust me, trust me, I've got you, trust me. And I'm, I'm learning, I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. And so this scripture, again, has resonated for me and has brought me to a place of, again, not understanding, but on reliance, reliance on God. And so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, the very beginning of Genesis chapter 22. When I read Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This scripture here exemplifies that for me. Genesis chapter 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, 
And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Why do you have to remind him of that? Whom you love, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood from the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, the guys that were with him, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He's making him do all the work. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father... He said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, God provides. Beautiful story. I mean, it's a horrible story. It's a beautiful story of faith and trust and reliance on God. And, And we see two types of trust here. One from Abraham and one from his son. We see Abraham who is promised generations of, of nationality, generations upon generation of, of his seed going forth into the land to, to own it, to conquer it, to bring forth God's kingdom unto it. So we see Abraham, who has been told, you are going to be the father of many generations, being told, kill your only son, sacrifice him unto me. I, I wonder, because we don't see these, these contextual things in the Bible we, we kind of have to assume some things. What we don't see here is perhaps the struggle that Abraham had. We don't see if, if Abraham didn't struggle whatsoever. We don't see his emotions when it comes to how he felt about this situation. What we see is his obedience. What we see is his trust. We see Abraham, whether he has internal conflict or not, saying, God has asked me to do something, and, and despite me knowing that this is my last chance to have these generations and generations that he's talking about, I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. And so he prepares to do exactly that. He grabs the wood. He grabs the men to help him. He gets the fire, and he gets the sacrifice, and he brings the sacrifice with him. And as they're going down or up the mountain, as his men to, to wait from behind or wait to wait behind, his son asks him, Father, where is the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? 
And what does the dad say? Abraham says, look, God's going to provide this sacrifice. What you have to understand about that message right there is that a sacrifice isn't provided. If I said to you, I want you to give me $1,000, and then Barry gave you $1,000 and you gave it to me, you haven't sacrificed anything. That's not a sacrifice. It was provided to you to give to somebody else. A sacrifice comes from you, from a pain inside of you. And so when Abraham says it will be provided, I believe Isaac understood there's something fishy going on here because a sacrifice requires work. Sacrifice requires input. It requires for you to do something with it. He understood sacrifice because they probably did it every year as part of the tradition of what God wanted them to do. He understood that, hey, there's times that I have to take care of that specific lamb in the herd because it's going to be a sacrifice in the future. This is the one that we set apart. We make it holy, right? We set it apart from everything else. We keep it, and, and we take care of it. There's, it's without spot. It's without blemish. This is the one that we take care of more than any other sheep out there because it's going to be the sacrifice. And I have to wake up early to feed this thing. I have to stay up late to take care of this thing. I've got to make sure that other sheep aren't banging into it and messing up the coat because this is going to be the sacrifice. He understood that. He understood that you don't just give a sacrifice that has blemishes, that's out in the wild, that's probably dirty, might have a disease. You don't do that. You provide a sacrifice. And so as they're walking up this mountain and Abraham says, God will provide, I think Isaac understood I'm probably the sacrifice. I believe my dad's going to kill me. But he walked, and he went with his father all the way up that mountain. And then when it came time, they're, they're putting together this altar. I'm sure Abraham had him help. Hey, put the fire around here in this area, right? Put it, put it on this uh, altar stone that we're going to use here. Why don't you gather some of these sticks over here and these twigs and, and get them over there? Isaac's an old man, don't forget. So he's, I'm sorry, Abraham. Abraham's an old man, don't forget. So he's asking Isaac, hey, let's, let's do all these things and telling him, do this, do this, do this. What is Isaac doing? He's doing it. Knowing full well, I'm probably the sacrifice. Or if not, man, God better provide something magical here. How, how, at what point in time do you think Isaac understood it's me? At what point in time do you think he thought it's me? Because the Bible says here very clearly, and then he bound his son. He bound him. He was tied up. He was ready. He, they probably used that, that, that twine that you use when you make like a roast or something, right? He, he bound him up. He's, he's already there. He's blindfolded. He's on the altar, and he's just waiting. He's not crying out. He's waiting. He knows. This is for God. This is for God. And he trusted. He trusted his father, and he trusted the Lord, and he did everything that was asked of him. So I, I believe that this was not just a test for Abraham, but for the son. Will you trust me? All the way up until Abraham said, this knife's coming down. I, I wonder how long as a father he held that knife up there in the air and said, if I do this, it's it. It's over. How long did he hold it up there until finally he said, okay, and his hand started to move down? That is when the angel came and said, stop. 
And, and we can see the urgency in, in the voice of the angel, and the angel calling out from heaven, and he says, lay not your hand upon the lad. Don't do anything to him. He's making it very clear, stop. Stop what you're doing. We get it. You trust the Lord. Good job. You did it. But all of this work was done where Abraham and Isaac trusted. Do we have that kind of trust? And I ask myself that. Do I trust the Lord that much that I'd be willing to sacrifice my son, my only son, unto the Lord? Two daughters, I've got two of them, right? Whatever. I'm just kidding. It's okay. But, but to give up your child, your son, your only son, and to say, I will sacrifice him willingly, it, it, I knew, I know it had to have been hard for Abraham and Isaac to have that type of trust. I pray that the Lord give me that type of trust. What does it take to have that kind of trust? What does it take? Is it experience, do you think? Do you, do you have to go through so many things before you're like, okay, I, I get it now, you're going to be with me? What, at what age do you finally reach the age of trust? Right? Or are there all these things that have to happen in your life? They're like, ah, okay, I'm 50 now. I'm, I'm good to go. I trust the Lord because if I die, I had a full life anyway. At what point do you think God wants us to trust him when we're young? Or, or do we have to wait until we're old? I don't know. All I know is that God wants us to trust him. So what does it take for us to trust? The, the thing that I have battled with that when it, is that when it comes to trust, you just have to trust. Who was it that said, trust, but verify? One of our presidents said that, I believe. Reagan, trust, but verify. I mean, to me, that's anti what God is saying here, but I get it. That's the mentality that we have. You, you can trust. You put your trust in them, but hey, let's have our plan B working over here and make sure everything goes right. What God wants you to do is just trust. You don't have to verify. You just trust. And it's one of the hardest things that we can do as human beings because we are so used to being let down. And that is the meat of it. We are accustomed to humanity letting us down. And the other thing that we're accustomed to is pain. Not that we like it, but we get it. We understand pain and that we've gone through pain, and we're going to go through pain, but we don't want to go through pain. I hate pain. Don't make me go through pain. I don't like it. I, have, I do everything that I can in my life to avoid pain as much as possible. Do you? Nobody rushes into a fire, right? unless you're a fireman, but nobody rushes into a fire and say, hey, this is going to feel great. Everybody runs away from a fire. It takes a special kind of person to run into one. The pain that we experience here in this world is something that we want to avoid as much as possible. So what do we do? We avoid it. We steer away from it. We plan our lives around giving, getting as little pain as possible in our lives. But when we experience pain, what do we believe about that pain? You did something wrong, right? I did something to get myself into this situation I'm experiencing this pain, this pressure, this temptation, whatever it might be, because something went wrong in my life. What we don't understand is that sometimes that pain comes because God wants us to learn how to trust. 
And that's one of the hardest lessons that I still haven't learned that I'm learning for us to do. So let's look at this one here. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When they had done this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net broke. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes that which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. And when they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Lean not on your own understanding. So Jesus is there, and he wants to teach. And, and the beautiful thing about water is that, that it allows sound to bounce off of it and, and go out as, as almost an amplifier. And so Jesus, understanding this, this physics principle, said to Simon, hey, I want to get into your boat. I want to launch out a little bit, and I want to speak to the people so that they can hear me. And Simon, already done for the day, he had been toiling all night, he had been fishing, was very gracious and said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. So he probably grabbed some supplies, was going to continue cleaning his nets on the boat. His other friends were already on land. And they launch out, and Jesus begins talking. And as he's talking, Simon is there, and he's, he's fixing his net, right? He looks through the net, finds places that are torn, and he starts to repair them. But he's listening. He's listening to what Jesus is saying out of the corner of his ear. And, and he is consuming the, the words that are being said by Jesus. And as he, he listens and he hears he starts to resonate with the message that Jesus is saying. We don't know what he said because it's not in here, but, but we understand that it was probably one of his sermons. And so as he's speaking these sermons, he, Simon's like, yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. I like this. This is, this is a good guy. This is a teacher. And so he's, he's fixing his net. And when he's done, Jesus goes up to Simon. Hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me borrow your boat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. You know, I'm, I'm glad I could be here. It was a great message, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, Simon, I, I wonder if you would do me a favor. Can we launch out just a little bit deeper and go fishing? Can we just, just a little bit further down, can we go fishing? And Simon, all, again, already tired from the day, probably just finished repairing his nets. They're clean. They're ready to go for tomorrow's haul. Says to him, listen, we toiled all night. There's nothing here. All the fish are either dead, caught, or asleep. There's nothing that we can do about it. But, but you know what? You're a good guy. I understand the way that fishing works. I understand the time of day or the time of night that you need to come and launch out and do all these things. And now is not that time. My understanding 
is this right here, and you're telling me to go against that understanding and follow at your word. But you know what? I trust you. So at your word, I'm going to go out. We're going to launch this thing, and we're going to go see if we can catch some fish. And so Simon leaned not on his understanding, but launched out into the deep and caught the most massive amount of fish that he ever had ever seen or heard of in his life. So much so that his boat began to sink, so much so that he called his partners and their boats began to sink. It was the most massive amount of fish, and he finally understood that he does not understand anything. He had to rely on God. And, and he, he fell down on his knees. Excuse me. I'm a sinner. I do not deserve to be in your presence. I, I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus said, look, you're the person I need for this because you finally get it. It's not about you and what you know. It's about what I want to teach you. And from here on forth, you're going to do the same thing for other people. So you trust in the Lord with all your heart. You do what he says, even though it goes beyond everything that you expect for, it, for something to be. You lean not on your own understanding. You, you have a mind. You're a smart guy, Fabian, but you don't know everything. And then we get to, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I started reading in the book of Daniel, and, and I wanted to read all of the book to Dan, of Daniel to you because it's such a great book, but we're not going to do that. So instead, what I have here on the board, the projector, are a series of events that happened in the life of Daniel that we could have read, but hopefully you can reference later, uh, and, or hopefully you remember them from your study and your reading. In Daniel chapter 1, at the very beginning, we see Daniel and his, his three friends, um, Shadrach and Benny, preparing or training in Babylon. So they've taken these, these Jews out from where they were. They've brought them into the palace, and they said, we're going to train these, these young men to be um, servants here, but we've got to train them our way. They need to know our ways. And, and the king said, I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to feel like uh, they're going to be okay. And so in order to build that trust, I want you to feed them all these great things. I want them to have uh, crab legs and lobster, put all sorts of, of pastries and sweets out there, give them the finest meat. I want this, this Wagyu beef out there cooked and ready to go. Get some of Sandra's roast and bring it in here. All this delicious food that you can possibly have, bring it out and have them eat that because I want them to be full, and I want them to be happy. And Daniel and his three friends say, we can't eat this. this all of this goes against the mandates of God. And so he goes up to um, the, the slave master at the time, if you will, and he says, I, I cannot eat this food. It, it goes against what God wants us to, to be and to do. And he says, look, I, I respect you. I like you. You're a good kid. But if you don't eat that food... I'm the one that's going to get called out for it because you're going to be unhealthy and you're going to be waning behind everybody else. They're going to see that and they're going to kill you and then they're going to punish me. And, and Daniel says, look, give us 10 days. Your guys eat what they want to eat. We'll eat what we're supposed to eat. Just give us vegetables, legumes, lentils. Give us vegetables 
and we'll see who's better at the end of 10 days. 10 days, not very long. He's like, okay, we'll try. We'll do your experiment. And at the end of 10 days, you know what happened. They were healthier than everybody else. They followed the mandates of God, their God, the rules that God had set before them. They said, we're going we're gonna to do what God has called us to do. And they were the healthiest people, so much so that the guy decides from now on, everybody's going to have the Daniel diet. Everybody's going to do this because these are the people that came out healthier. And obviously all this, this great food is not good for them. And so we're going to switch. So that's Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4, we see Daniel interpreting Nebi's dreams. Nebuchadnezzar, for those of you who didn't know. So Nebi has some dreams. Daniel interprets them, and he tells them, look, this is what's going on. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Daniel, from the very beginning, said, God wants us to be this way, and if I'm not this way, then I can't keep moving forward. And he gets his way, and he does better than everybody else. In, in Daniel 2 and 4, we see him acknowledging God. There's, there's one sentence in particular where, where Daniel says to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, look, I'm not telling you this because I know mysteries and, or because I am better than anybody else out there. I'm telling you this because God is sovereign and you need to know that. That's what he tells him. Because you need this, Nebi. It's not about me. It's not about how much I know. It's not about how great I am. It's not about how spiritual I am. It's about how much God wants you to listen to him and for him to be in your life. And so we see that in Daniel chapter 2, and then we see him again in Daniel chapter 4 interpreting dreams. In Daniel chapter 3, the story of the fiery furnace. Everybody should know this story. Daniel's not in this one. It's Shadrach and Benny. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're acknowledging their God. He's telling everybody, look, I want you to worship my God, and so we're going we're gonna to sing a song, and whenever we play that song on the Spotify, everybody just needs to worship my God. And so these guys don't. They're playing the song. These three guys stay standing up because they're not going to worship another God, and so he pulls them out. He throws them in the fiery furnace. Let's pause there for a second. Anybody ever been thrown in a fiery furnace? Katie raised her hand. Anybody ever open an oven after you've set it to cook something? Open your oven and the heat comes up. Pretty hot, right? For you men, let me, let me change it to translate it to men. How many of you ever started a, a, a fire on a grill, closed the lid to get that, that grill nice and hot, and then you open the lid to check to see how things are going? You get that rush of hot air, don't you? I remember one time um, in college, it was fall, and um, we had just gotten back. Well, actually, I guess it was more, more winter. We had just gotten back from Christmas break, and, and there was a dead Christmas tree. You know how Christmas trees die at the end of December? Well, there was a dead one, and it was all brown, yellow from death, and someone had found it and brought it. Every Tuesday, we had um, Brotherhood of Barbecue. I was president of Brotherhood of Barbecue at Southwestern at one point in time, and, and it was basically just the fellowship time. We would go out because we had a grill at our dorm. We had a grill, and we would just all bring our own meat, and as the president, it was my job to cook the meat for everybody. That's why I like grilling so much. So we would grill meat 
uh, I would ask the, hey, how do you like it? And they would tell me medium, rare, you know, whatever. Very rarely, but once in a while I would get somebody who liked it well done, you know, hockey puck style. So I would do that. And after cooking all the meat, and, or during the cooking the meat, people would come out and they would fellowship. And, and some people would bring out a guitar and they would worship, um, worship, just have worship music going. Sometimes people would bring out a Bible and they would have a little tiny Bible study. Sometimes we didn't do any of that. We just sat there and talked as men about our lives. And it was a great time of fellowship. And that was the whole purpose of it is just a fellowship. But we found this Christmas tree. And, and because we had not just a grill but a big fire pit, someone thought it was a great idea to burn this Christmas tree and, and to put it in the fire pit as part of our um, weekly thing, right? So, so we have it out there. And it's, it's a big Christmas tree. It's probably a, a six-footer. So it's out there. They, they put it in this big pit. The pit itself is probably about six feet in diameter, so it was a big pit. Uh, but they put it out there. They've got some kindling around this thing. And, and we light it on fire. I'm, I'm pretty sure we used some sort of accelerant on there. Um, I don't think it was gasoline or anything like that, but we did have lighter fluid, so I'm sure it was doused at one point in time. And let me tell you that you could not be within 30 feet of this tree without feeling the heat that was coming off of this thing. It was hot. I will remember that day for the rest of my life because you could not in any way, shape, or form, get even close to that Christmas tree once it was fully on fire. It was so searingly hot. I cannot even imagine what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through when they were told, we're going to put you into this fiery furnace. The emotion that these three gentlemen had when they were told, because you were worshiping God, the thing that you are supposed to be doing, because you were worshiping your God, we're going to throw you in this fiery furnace. When we read these stories in the Bible, we read them to conclusion. You get that, right? You, you begin at the beginning. You understand the players and the acts and all the plot and everything that's going on. And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, and they lived happily ever after. Well, sometimes they don't. But they lived happily ever after, right? We read these stories and we say, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fiery furnace, angel of the Lord, they were set free. What we skip in our reading are the, the milestones within the story of these people actually going through the events. Because although this happened within the span of one day, what we don't understand is that a day is a very long thing. When you experience something in your life, that thing doesn't happen and then it ends. It happens and then you deal with it emotionally. So here we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dealing with it emotionally. They are inside of a furnace. It probably hasn't been turned on yet, but they're in this furnace, and they're probably thinking, maybe they're not, maybe it's just me, why am I in this furnace? God, where are you? We were worshiping you. We were, we were not worshiping because of you. We abstained from all of that because we love you. My expectation is for you to protect me from this kind of thing. My expectation is for me not, have, not to have to be even close to the fiery furnace. You should have turned me invisible 20 minutes ago so they couldn't have seen us. You should have made everybody be distracted by an explosion somewhere and they wouldn't have seen us still standing. God, 
I have all these ideas for things that should have happened for me not to be in this situation. How many times have we felt that way? God, why me? Why am I the one going through this? I have followed every single one of your mandates. Why? 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 So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are here. They're in the fiery furnace. And I would like to believe that having worshiped the Lord and knowing what state of mind my spirit is in, that I would have the trust and the faith to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. This is, this is great, guys. This is good. It's going to burn off all the impurities off of our clothes. It's going to be great. But I don't know. I don't know because when I do go through things, I question. I question. So there they are in this fiery furnace, and then all of a sudden the furnace turns on. And they don't feel a thing. And the miracle happens, and there's somebody there with them. And, and some scholars believe it was an incarnation of Jesus or, or a, a portion of Jesus that, that had come before. The Bible says it was an angel. Some believe it could have been the presence of God. It, it really doesn't matter. The point is that God was with them in some shape or form, protecting them, loving them. And so these gentlemen are just standing there. And, and if it was me, I would be talking to my buddies. Hey, do you feel that? No, I don't feel that. Me neither. It's pretty cool. We're in this fire, and, and we're not, our bro- clothes aren't burnt. They don't smell like smoke. Nothing is happening to these guys. So we see the end of the story, but we forget the middle of the story and, and all the, the issues that they had to go through. And, and I think that's exemplified here by the one that, the final scripture that I want to read. There's two of them. We're going to start here in Daniel chapter 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. Oh, let me pause for a second. I'm sorry. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Daniel has been working for the Pharaoh, the king, whatever you want to call him, for a while now. And he's been, he's been made like a prefect. And, and he is, has peers within this, this region of people that work with him. And he's been doing such a great job. Uh, the king really loves him, really stand-up guy, right? And so he's been doing all these things, but he's been worshiping the Lord in his way while working for the king. And he hasn't defiled himself, and he has been true to God. He has acknowledged him in all his ways. And he gets to the point where people hate him because he's so good. They hate him because he's getting all the favors. And so they make up this plan to catch him. And because they know, and the Bible says this, they know they cannot catch him in sin or breaking some sort of decree that, that the king has already made. They want to trap him by using God to trap him. And so they go up to the king and they say, hey, king, you're the best there ever was. You are the king of kings, let me tell you. So you should make a decree that at a, at a certain point in time, you can only worship you, just you. And, and everybody else, they can worship at their own, on their own days some other time, but at this point in time, they should be worshiping you. He's like, yeah, that's, that's a cool idea. I like that. I like that. Let's do that. And so he signs the decree that at this point in time, everybody should be worshiping him. And so when Daniel saw that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his window being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, because he's praying towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees, three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did every single time he was supposed to. 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they knew they caught him. They got him. He was not supposed to be doing this at this time. He should have been worshiping the, the king. So they got him. And, and then they go off and they do all this thing. And they tell the king, hey, didn't you say that if we found somebody who wasn't worshiping you, that they should be put to death? Yes, absolutely. I, I did say that. You're right. Well, guess what? We found somebody. Oh, really? Who? I mean, who would be so stupid enough to not do that? Well, let me tell you, it was Daniel. And at that point, the king is, is just devastated because he loved Daniel. He knew Daniel, and he didn't want this to happen. And so he said, oh, look, there's got to be some way around this, right? That's, that's, he probably didn't know it was happening. He made up all of these excuses. The Bible goes through and tells us that he made up all of these excuses, and he worked with his people to find a loophole to get Daniel out of this thing. He loved him that much. But the guys remind him, you made this decree. And if you break this decree, if you break this decree, it will undermine all of your power and authority in this place. And so the king knew there is nothing, absolutely nothing I can do about this. And so he sends Daniel to the lion's den. But before he does so, he gets him, he looks him, and he says, your God will protect you. It's the most amazing thing to me, that, that the life of Daniel, that, that the spirituality, that, that his light was so strong that an atheist, unbeliever person who wanted people to worship him would look at Daniel and say, your God is going to protect you. And as little as he probably believed in, in that higher power for himself, he knew it was out there, and he knew that Daniel was protected by it. And so he looked him in the eye and he says, your God will protect you. I know it, Daniel. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And so he sends him. He sends him to the lion's den. And he gets there. And Daniel's in this lion's den. And I'm not reading it. I'm trying to do it a little bit faster. I probably could have read it and been faster. But anyway, I like the story. So Daniel's in this lion's den, right? What we don't see is what happens in the lion's den. The Bible doesn't tell us this. It tells us that he gets thrown in the lion's den, and then it gets to what we're about to read, Daniel chapter 6, verse 18. But I want to talk about what happens between verse 17 and verse 18. Because Daniel's in this lion's den, and what he hears all around him are lions. You ever been close to a lion? I have never been close to a lion. You know, they have those situations where they sedate the animal, and then you can go over there and pet like a tiger or something like that. I've never done anything like that with a lion. I have seen lions on safari. I've seen them in pictures. I've seen them out in the zoo. And they're imposing creatures. They're, they're massive. They're a big creature. They've got this big mane. Makes them look even bigger, right? Lions are, are powerful, powerful beasts. They've got these claws that, that one swipe, and it'll tear your face off. I have read a lot about lions. One of the things that lions and tigers have in common is, is their sandpaper-like tongue, they use that whenever they lick off uh, an, an animal that they have killed. It, it, will, it will literally tear the hide or the skin off the animal so that they can get to the meat. That's how rough their tongues are. So don't let a lion lick you, just in case you were going to let that happen. Don't. So these lions are massive, imposing animals, and, and there's many of them. And, and they are specifically starved in this den for the purpose of destroying whatever creature happens to fall into their den at a moment's notice. They don't want 
these lines to be full and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to you here in a minute. No, no, when you're in the lion's den, life is over. And so Daniel gets lower. I've seen videos, obviously cartoon, not uh, handicam of it, of videos of, of uh, Daniel being lowered down into the lion's den by ropes. Uh, we don't know if he was tied up. We don't know if he was free. We don't know a lot of things about this. What I feel if I was in this situation, maybe I just don't trust God, would be, why am I even in this situation, Lord? I've been worshiping you this whole time. I loved you. I, I, I have been I, devoting my life to you, and here I am about to die at the hands of lions, or the mouths of lions. Where are you, Lord? We don't know what he was feeling. We don't know if, if his emotional state was frantic or if it was trusting the entire time. I like to believe that it was trusting the entire time because that's the example that God wants us to see, to hear. That Daniel said, despite the circumstance that I am in, I trust you, Lord. And I'm not going to put my foot back. I'm not going to pick up a stick or a rock and try to fight these lions. I'm not going to put up my hands and pull out some karate moves. I'm not going to run around and see if I can tire them out because they're probably starved anyway. I'm just going to trust you, Lord. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding of how, how lion nature works. Maybe they're nocturnal animals, so if I can just make loud noises and make them believe it's daytime, they'll leave me alone. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to trust. And, and because I have acknowledged you in all of my ways, I believe, Lord, you're going to direct this thing the way that it's supposed to go. So we see that. We see that happening in Daniel chapter 6, verse 18, last one. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. The king arose very early in the morning and went in haste. Because he loved him so much, he ran to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. Lamentable, why? Why? As much as he said, Daniel, your God is going to protect you, he didn't. He's not a believer. So he's like, Daniel's dead. Daniel's dead. Like Jeremiah, right? Daniel's dead. He believed he was dead. And so he ran over there and he said in a lamentable voice, Daniel. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God is your God, whom you serve continually, able to deliver you from the mouth of the lions. And Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much before him, innocency was found in me. And also before you, O king, I have done no hurt. And the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded, it's not up there, and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. What is also not up there, not here, is then he gets those guys, those guys that put all this together, and he, he sends them and their fi families, their children and their wives, into the lion's den and, and here's the amazing part. I mean, I guess it's not that amazing. Um, the lions ate them immediately. <laughs> there was no waiting. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a miracle of, of science. It wasn't that these lions were just not hungry anymore or, or couldn't do it when it came to Daniel. Daniel was down there, and they touched him not. The families were down there, and the Bible says that they were immediately, immediately consumed and destroyed because that's what these lions were there for. They did their job. 
But they stopped with Daniel because God protected him. So I look at these stories, and I look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And, and I tell you this because I am encouraged by what God is doing in my life and, and the ebbs and flows of, of being hired and fired and moved from here to there and, and, and the, the, the travesties of life. And I say to you that despite your circumstances, God is there and he loves you and you're just in the middle of the story. And if you wait a little longer, sometimes a little lot longer, but if you wait a little longer, you're gonna get to the end of that story. You're gonna see the miracles that God is doing. You're gonna see the great things that God has for you. You just need to trust in the Lord with everything that is inside of you and lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to come up with a plan B. Don't put your foot back. Just trust. And everything that you do, acknowledge him. And he, he will make your path as straight as it can be. He will direct that thing that it needs to be directed towards. Sometimes you want to look to the right. Sometimes you want to look to the left. But he's going to say, look, that way, that's the way that I want you to go. So don't come up with these plans of action. Don't try to come up with all these things that, that you think are going to get you where I want you to go. Acknowledge me, and I'm going to get you there. Father, I thank you for directing our paths. I thank you for my family, my two daughters, my beautiful, talented, and lovely daughters who have dedicated their lives to you, my, my wife, my family, my son. I thank you for everything, all the blessings that you have given to us. Father, we submit ourselves to you, and I commit to you today, among all the other days, to trust you, to have faith in you, because you have proven to be faithful. Lord, we have never lacked. We have never been wanting. We have, we have experienced pain, but Lord, we have gotten through that pain because of you, and we will continue to trust that you're going to get us through all these things. Lord, if there's anybody out there experiencing doubt, frustration, who's being attacked by the enemy through a, a physical need or a mental need, an emotional need, Father, I pray that you show them your light. As they begin to acknowledge you, I pray that you give them their healing, that you give them their, their mental fortitude, that you, that you touch their emotions, Father, that you begin to be with them and with your presence. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done already. We thank you and look forward to all the things that you're going to do. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Have a great afternoon, and we will see you next time. God bless you.